thank you. Are you checking to see if my glasses are on that chair behind you? They may not be. No. All good. All right. So, welcome to uh, Scripture Study at Dublin Bible Church. I don't have my glasses, so it may get interesting, but it'll be just fine. All right. Um, <coughs> if you want to turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We've been hanging out in Ephesians, kind of going through it one passage at a time for a while now. Going to wrap it up today. Excited to do that. As you turn in there, I'll tell you that it was uh, several years back, um, probably more than several now, <laughs> probably at least 10 years ago, that um, I was on one of my kicks. Uh, I kind of ride a roller coaster of fitness and healthy eating and then not. And so I was getting into one of my kicks. I was ready to really take it on again and, and start exercising, eating well. And I had a buddy at the time who was super into uh, physical fitness and training and these kind of things. And he had agreed to kind of take me on as, as, a, uh, as a friend. He wasn't going to officially be my trainer, but he was going to give me some plans and programs, do some stuff with me. And so I said, yeah, man. And he, he told me where to meet him, to meet him at the sports complex locally. Man, I thank you so much. It's going to go so much better. Um, when I said we'll be fine without my glasses, we would have been, but it'll be better with them, I promise. Uh, but, but I met my buddy at the local sports and rec center, and that's where he told me to meet him. And he brought me inside. Up on the second level, there was a walking track. And, uh, man, I'm ready to get started on my first day of getting it back in shape. And I said, all right, man, what are we doing? And he said, well, here's what we're going to do. It's just me and you. He said, we're going to run one lap around the track just as fast as you can. And then when you're done, you're going to pick up this jump rope and you're going to jump it 30 times. Then you're going to put it back down and you're going to run one lap as fast as you can. And you're going to pick up this jump rope and jump it 30 times. He said, we're just going to alternate. So you'll be running, I'll be jumping, I'll be running, you'll be jumping. He said, we're just going to do that over and over again as many times as you can in 20 minutes. And he caught the look on my face, right? Because the look on my face, and, and it may or may not be what you were expecting, by the way, the look on my face was like, that's kind of lame, right? Like, I thought I was about to dive into, like, really getting ripped up and toned, and, like, I'm ready to do something, right? Like, I'm ready to change my life, and I came up here to just kind of skip a rope with you for 20 minutes and run around a track. And I kind of looked at him, and I, and I, and I literally said, he's like, is that, is that bad? And I was like, well, no, man, that's fine, but, I mean, is that, that's all we're going to do today? He was like, man, that's, yeah, let's just start there, right? He was wise, right? He was very nice. He's like, yeah, let's just start there, right? So we do it. I make my first lap around the track. I'm doing good. I'm cruising, right? I'm feeling just like I did in high school, baby. I'm breezing past people on this track. I get my jump rope in. I'm like, all right, good. Somewhere around a quarter of the way through lap two, I go, man, I'm breathing heavy, all right? Like, this is a thing. Like, this is happening. I'm jumping rope for the second time. Somewhere in the middle of that, I'm thinking, I may die here on the track, all right? And, and I don't even know how many times I made it. I know that I was big time embarrassed. There were moments when he was jumping rope for way more than 30 jumps because he was waiting on me to get back. And I was on the other side of the track going, <gasps> right? Like I was, I was struggling. People were going, is there a dinosaur over there? It's like, no, it's, it's me. I'm so sorry, right? Right? But I had completely overestimated myself and completely underestimated the, the workout that I was about to step into. Have you... Ever been there? Maybe not with exercise, but ever been there in life where you go, hey, I've got this aim that I have. I've got this goal that I have. I, I want to get to hitting this objective, but maybe you underestimated the pathway to get there. You ever done that? Some of us have done that with education or career before. <laughs> you went, hey, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And so you jumped into school and you started trying to figure that out and it didn't take but a couple of semesters before you went, I did not know how ridiculously hard this was. Anybody been there? Yeah. 
Maybe you've been there before with a house renovation project, something you're going to do with the house. You go, we don't need to hire somebody. I'll just do this myself, right? You get back there, you start working on it. It goes great. You're ripping stuff out. Then you start to lay down the first stuff, and the first question that you didn't plan for pops up. And you're like, man, I don't know what to do with this. And then seven weeks later, when it's still undone in your home, and you're going, I've ran across 19 questions I didn't know what to do with. Life presents, in fact, I could just say, instead of trying to get specific to help you realize moments that you've kind of underestimated uh, the path, I could just say adult life, right? Adulting is a little bit harder than we realized it was, right? When we were kids and teenagers, we couldn't wait to be grown up. When I'm grown, I'm going to do this. And then we got to grown and went, man, I did not know it was like this. (laughs) See, we are prone to stepping into moments only viewing the goal, but but minimizing the process to get to the goal. And we set ourselves up to struggle unnecessarily when we focus only on the goal and pay no attention to its cost. When we focus solely on the dream, this is who I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to be about. I, I saw that person post that Instagram stuff and they were all toned up and ripped up and they said that they did it in 20 minutes a day and by drinking that drink that you mix into your water, I can do this, there's nothing to it, right? Then you stepped into it and went, whoa, because you saw the dream, but you underestimated the journey. And when we underestimate the journey for the goals that we have in life, we're setting ourselves up to struggle more than we have to. We're setting ourselves up for struggle that's unnecessary. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today that the Christian life is no different. In fact, the, the life of faithfully following Jesus is is not kind of that way. It's not a little bit like that. It's, it's more that way than probably anything you'll ever encounter. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me just make sure I make this clear, that trusting and hoping only in Jesus for right standing with God, for forgiveness and hope and freedom to flood your soul, it is the thing to do. But I just want to make sure you hear me say that is no promise that life gets easier. <laughs> it's a promise that life gets better, but it doesn't mean your circumstances turn out all rosy and Butterflies and puppy dogs and rainbows. Right? The reality for us is that as we walk with Jesus, we will face more turbulence in walking after him and following in that direction than we sometimes have, have ever presumed or dreamed. As we've talked in the book of Ephesians about what it means for God to have remade us through his grace in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. We're saying that God has rewired us internally. He has placed new life in us. We've quoted 2 Corinthians 5.17 that therefore if anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you have trusted in Jesus in sincere faith, not talking about old dusty, I say yes to trying to be a better person and call myself a Christian, but I'm talking about, hey, I can't ever do it good enough, so I cling to Jesus because I want to know and honor God. If you've had that kind of faith experience, then the reality is, regardless of how well you live it out, regardless of how much you feel like it, he has made you new. And we're learning in the second half of Ephesians how to live that out. Specifically, we've been learning in the last little bit more than a chapter how to live it out in our relationships specifically. Because we've said unimpacted relationships reveal unchanged character. Right? If, if I've been changed in my core, it will make its way out into my interactions with everyone around me. And today we're going to see that Paul ends the letter, I believe, by shifting gears away from relationships to say to us this warning, to say to us, hey, 
The life that you can live with Jesus is beautiful and wonderful and better than any day you've ever had without Jesus. But understand this, all of that does not mean that it's going to be simple. It's going to be difficult. And so he's going to give us some guidance and some direction from God. We'll pick up Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Maybe today as we read these verses, you think about... Your own struggles. You think about the places where faith is hard for you right now. Maybe you hear God's word in relation to those struggles. It says this in verse 10. Finally, so we know he's starting his descent. He's coming to an end of the letter. He says, this is kind of the last thing I need to say to you. This is kind of the last big argument I need to present. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love that verse. I love that it says the strength of his might, his might being his overwhelming force, his strength being his ability to put that into place. It's like if you put it down in 2023 Jason language, it would just be saying, hey, God's strength is strong. (laughs) God's big, bold, bad muscularness is muscular, right? And it's saying, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, the schemes of so that that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He says, I've told you that God has remade you and I've given you some Holy Spirit inspired commands and guidance for how to live out this new identity. But make sure that you hear this. You have an enemy. And he has minions. Do you see that? Do you see that it's not just this one enemy, but he says over the rulers, over the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Paul doesn't doesn't want to extrapolate and really explain all that in detail, but if you don't understand anything else about that, we can take this away for sure. There is an organized, systematic approach to be against those of us who have faith in Jesus. There is an enemy who hates us, would love to ruin us, would love to destroy us, and it's not just him, and it's not just some, some uh, bad office manager off in the corner, and you're going, well, the store's not organized well. He's got this thing worked up and rigged up tight with layers and complexity and structure of those who follow him, evil spirits of this world, and they are lined up against us as followers of Jesus. Welcome to church this morning. Pray you're encouraged. <laughs> Stick with me. I hope you will be. Here's the reality for, for many of us is that we know this and, and, and intellectually we would check off and go, yes, there is a spiritual enemy named Satan, named the devil. Yes, he has those who work under his power to pull strings and make things in our world be opposing to God and opposing to me. We would check off and say yes to that. But, but when it comes down to the reality of trusting that with the way that we function, if we're honest, sometimes it might feel a little silly. To think that there's this this dark spiritual enemy who's against us. I would beg the question then why we have such an easy time believing that there's a force of light. Our holy God who's an invisible spiritual being for us. But we think that he, our enemy, is non-existent or ridiculous or we feel silly with that. 
Listen, I would just argue that the greatest strategy you could have as one who is an enemy is to mask yourself such that you're not an enemy or you don't exist. (laughs) Right? I can win the battle if you don't even know you're fighting against me. I remember in junior high school at Bottenfield Junior High, uh, one, one day out of each week we would get to play a game called War Ball. It was like dodgeball before we started caring about the health and safety of children, okay? It was dodgeball, but with a bunch of balls, and it was the kick balls. It wasn't these soft, squishy little things that can't get any speed. It was those big, round, super bouncy kick balls, and our coaches had them blown up tight because he didn't like us very much. We were a bunch of smart alecks, and there were just bunches of them in the line, and you would just go get them and just go nuts on the team on the other side of the gym. And one of my strategies that I would try to pull off, maybe once every couple of months, you couldn't do it often, but I would start off sitting in the bleachers like, nope, not playing war ball today. Then I would kind of real slowly work my way into standing back against the wall over kind of a few feet away from the team on this end, but still kind of looking like I'm not playing. (laughs) And then when somebody would throw a ball and it went over in the corner, I'd go get the ball and keep it behind my back. And then I'd go over here and stand against the wall with the ball behind my back. And the whole time you'd be looking at me thinking, well, he doesn't even have a ball. He's just standing there lounging. He's not playing. I wasn't playing until somebody snuck up too close to me. And then I just absolutely pelted their head off, right? (laughs) I brought it and I meant to bring the pain and I'm not sorry, okay? You see, I was dangerous because I had the appearance that I wasn't a threat at all. Had the appearance that I wasn't even in the game, that I wasn't even playing. Paul is saying to you, follower of Jesus, don't be scared, but be sobered by this reality. There is a structured, systematic enemy who is against your faith. You want to follow Jesus with your whole heart? It's not hard just because it's hard. It's not hard just because you're human. It's also hard because there are forces at work bringing turbulence against you. Now, thankfully, Paul doesn't just say that and then go, hope y'all figure it out. Peace out. Mic drop. He gives us so much help and guidance, but we've got to buy into the reality of the opposition first because some of us are so wounded and crippled at times in our faith and we're trying to figure out, well, maybe I'm not sleeping enough or maybe I'm eating wrong or maybe I'm you know, not, not kind enough or I'm too selfish or whatever. And those things may be true, but it can also be that there is a, a system of darkness that is aligned against us as followers of Jesus. So Paul says, that being the case... Be strong, and be strong how? Be strong in the Lord, in his strength. Right. So it's not enough for me just to associate with God and go, oh, I've got his strength on my side. I actually have to take on his strength as what I use to fight the battle. I don't step out and claim his strong credentials. I figure out what it is for me to live and dwell and walk and live in his strength more so than in my own. And all of a sudden, I find myself having a spiritual, internal resilience, ruggedness, and strength about myself, a joy that can't be so easily tarnished. There are things inside of me now that wouldn't exist because it's not my strength, but it's his strength. But sitting in a room on a Sunday, and we're so glad you're here. It's an awesome thing. It's a great decision, but it can't be only. Sitting in a room with some other believers, Making a decision years ago, all that stuff is great stuff if it's sincere, but that in and of itself is not what it means to walk with Jesus and in his strength. You're just associating yourself with him. This 
This past week, I had a moment. Some of you have had this moment. It's one of the most frustrating moments I'll ever have in customer service. I was calling trying to work out a medical bill that we had received for one of our kids. I had a few questions about it. I called. I gave them the reference number on the statement. Gave them some facts, the address, those kinds of things they asked for. We got to a certain point in the conversation, everything's going well. And then I start to ask specific questions about the balance, about if it's been applied to insurance yet. I start asking those kind of questions. And the person on the other end of the line, I knew this was when it went downhill. He said, "Um, one moment, please. Am I speaking with Jamie? That would be my wife's name. (laughs) In that moment, I'm just being honest with y'all, Dove Bible Church. I was really tempted to go, yep. Two-way name. I know some dudes named Jamie. I knew where this was heading. I wanted to go, yeah, if you're talking to Jamie, Jamie right here, boy. That's what I wanted to say, right? Instead, I told the truth. Said, well, no, sir, I'm, I'm his father. I'm, I'm Jason. He says, oh, well, when you took the child to the, the health care facility, did you, were you the one who signed the, the paperwork? And I, and I said, oh, I got to be honest with you, and this is the honest truth. I mean, it was a crazy day, and we were supposed to be driving home from vacation. Instead, we were in an uh, in, in ER, and I had kids bouncing around wanting vending machine stuff. And I'm like, we're here because your brother got a knot on his head. You're worried about Snickers, all right? But whatever, right? So was, I, said, I don't know who signed the paperwork, right? I, I don't know whose name is on there. I don't know if I'm listed. And he said, well, I hate to tell you, sir, we're not going to be able to speak any further about this matter unless Miss Jamie is able to get on the phone and verify. Oh. So all this time I've invested these multiple calls, these multiple questions, all these notes that I've taken, all of that, we got to restart all over again because I don't have the beautiful Jamie Durant with me in this moment. It's her birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday, baby. All right. <laughs> because I don't have her with me, because I can't get her voice on the phone live and in action, I don't have the ability. It's not enough for me just to know her. I know her as well as any other human knows her. We spend a lot of time together. I can tell you stuff about her that she wouldn't want me to tell you, so I won't. (laughs) I can tell you endearing traits that I won't take time for right now. I can tell you lots of things about her. I know her. You can't know her better than I do, but it's not just knowing her. I need her here to carry me forward in this conversation. And in your faith journey, it's not going to be enough for you to just associate yourself with God and know some of the stories. You're going to have to walk with him and seek his strength to be applied on your behalf. It says, be strong, not in yourself, not in your accomplishments, not in how many times you did or didn't pray or read your Bible. Those, these things are needed. You're going to see that in just a minute. Don't be strong in your behavior or your moral record or whatever else it is that you would write down on the sheet of, this is why I think that I can succeed. Think that you can succeed because you have the creator God of the universe on your side. And he says that he's a warrior who fights with a banner over his head that says love. That's the name that he fights in for your sake. Go confidently in the Christian life because you have the strength of your father at your disposal. He says, live this way. And to do that, he gave us this instruction in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God. He's going to tell us more about that in the next few verses. It says, verse 13 says this, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So you see there, there's a There's an active thing that you do. It's not just be aware of the armor to know where it is, but it's you take it up. So it's you picking it up. We're going to talk about maybe how you do that in just a few minutes. He says, take up, pick up, apply, put on, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
Another translation that would be fair would be in the present darkness or against the dark forces. He's talking about this moment that we live in. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. So if you're a list taker or a note taker, he's going to tell us about the armor, the belt of truth, number one. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, number two. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Number three, in all circumstances, take up the shield, number four, of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, five, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm just guessing, right, that if, if you were just out having lunch with somebody and they said, hey, you need to put on all your spiritual armor to you. Now, listen, we're church people. We've heard some passages like this before. So in this setting, we hear that and we go, okay, all right, let me understand more. But in any other context in life, if I was to say, hey, put on your spiritual armor, you go, what are you talking about there, Star Wars? All right? right? What kind of weird stuff are you talking about? Right? I think that Paul is wanting us to understand this, that life very much is going to be a battle for faithfulness. But... In that battle, we are protected by God-given protection by this armor that he gives us. Now, many people think that Paul is, is probably thinking of Roman soldiers as he's writing this. He's probably in close proximity to them as he's often incarcerated and pushed around by them. And he's looking at their armor and he's going, you need this as a follower of Jesus to be strong. Like this soldier is strong physically. Here's what you need spiritually. Maybe that's true. At very least, I think it might be a combination, though, of him considering the Messiah who's prophesied in Isaiah as a warrior is coming strong. If you look at some of the parallels, I think he's talking about Jesus and him coming with force fiercely to rule and bring peace. I think he's talking about, hey, be like this. And I, I point that out to you, and I just hope that you hear either way that as we read through this list and consider what Paul's talking about, it's easy to read this list and think of all of these items for the most part as being merely defensive. That I put on these protective things so that I can be defense, I, I can hunker down in my foxhole and if somebody comes, I'm prepared well. Understand this, the role of a warrior is to be at war. We are to be on the offensive against darkness, not out hunting down Satan behind every bush, but out hunting down how we can bring the kingdom of God to earth, how we can be his hands and feet, how we can love people in areas of darkness and brokenness. And understand, when you go to do that, you'll find the darkness. But be on the offensive. Consider yourself one who's been given a task and go for it in this armor. He says, first of all, the belt of truth. Depending on what translation you have, some of the different and especially older translations would say, instead of the belt of truth, it would say, gird up your loins. Right? Anybody said that recently? <laughs> thought about it. I didn't say it yesterday. I thought about it. I was telling the kids we need to run to Walmart. I thought about saying to the youngest one, hey, man, gird up your loins. Right? And then I was like, He's six, you're going to have to explain it. It's not going to be worth it, right? And so I just was like, nah, let's let it go, right? To gird is to wrap up, to contain or constrain, right? This belt of truth. A soldier would have had on this outer tunic, this big flowing garment, kind of like those, we used to call them gauchos, like those big potato sack, weaving rug looking things that were really scratchy, but they were so cool looking. I feel like, I don't know this for a fact, I feel like my buddy Shane Preston probably has at least 17 of those in his closet, okay? It like that, hanging and overflowing, that would be your main outer garment. 
have a hole for your head, uh, holes for your arms. You would wear that outwardly. But that tends to not be uh, so conducive to the effort of running and physically straining and exerting yourself in an athletic event or especially in something like a physical battle. You don't need things that are hanging down that can trip you or get in your way as you go to, to thrust your sword. So he says, take this belt as they would take and, and gird all of that up. Put the belt around it so that it's not tripping you up. Pull it up just enough so that you're not falling over it so that it's not in your way. And the thing that's going to hold your life in this way, he says, is truth. So I just ask you this and just posit this to you, right? When we're considering the things that come against us in life, that come against our faith, do we ever stop to even just ask the question and consider before we move any further, do we just ever stop to say, is this true? Right? Is it true? This message that I'm hearing in my head about I can't do good enough, can't do well enough, is that true? The thing that the person said about me that's really all up in my soul right now causing havoc, it may hurt that they said it even if it's not true, but before I let it just run all over me and I identify myself the way they have, is it even true? Or am I living in some fairy world, make-believe, where I'm dealing with a bunch of stuff that's not even reality? Listen, I want to make sure I say this, that we have emotions that are very real. We have the reality of thoughts that are present with us, right? I'm not trying to talk away your feelings or your thoughts in any way. I'm a big believer in acknowledging them and seeing what God is up to in them. Those things may be very real, but just because they're really present with you doesn't mean that they're really true. The things that would pull your heart away from Jesus, maybe a first healthy step is to go, hey, I want my life to be ordered by truth. I want my life to be protected and held in place by truth. So a good first assessment question is, is what I'm looking at, is what I'm dealing with, is it even true? Am I seeing it truthfully? Am I saying it truthfully? Is it true? He says, you got this belt to hold everything in place. Then he says, listen, I want you to wear this breastplate of righteousness. In many occasions, this would have been thick and, and weathered, treated leather. Sometimes had pieces of bone and metal placed in it for heart. Or other times, it could have just been a sculpted metal piece, but it covered the whole chest area of the soldier to protect all of the vital organs. In ancient thought, the will and the value the thing that we use to value what was not considered to be your mind that we think of as making decisions, and I value this or don't, it was considered to be oftentimes your bowels. <laughs> Maybe where we get the statement from, Do you, I knew it in my gut. <laughs> your heart was to be, in their minds, the seat of your affections. Say, listen, this breastplate that would protect all of the vital affections that you have and all of the will and decisions that you would make, the thing that's going to give you protection against what comes against you is righteousness. Cover your affections. Let the first filter of your affections be the first protector of your affections, of your assessments as you make decisions and guides. Let it be righteousness. Going, what is righteousness? The story of scripture and the gospel, as I can best understand it, is that God is completely righteous. He's completely perfect. And no one else ever has been, could be, or will be. That he is righteous and he requires perfect righteousness for his acceptance. And because we will never, ever get that right, he sent his son Jesus to live perfect righteousness. 
And the beauty of it all is that if we trust in the resurrected Jesus for our acceptance before God, for us to be seen as right by God so that he'll say, come near and let me love you. If we trust in Jesus in that way, God reckons with us. He considers that that perfect righteousness is ours. I know me, and that's, that's so huge. <laughs> I'm so far from it. I can see a million ways every day where I'm going, that's not perfect righteousness. But the Father smiles at me. The Father loves me. The Father accepts me as if I'm perfectly righteous because I've trusted in Jesus' righteousness. That's the story of the gospel. And this reckoned righteousness should lead us then to responsive righteousness. That I should see that and go, man, I'm never going to get it perfectly, but I see a father who considers Jesus' perfection mine, who loves me like he loves Jesus. Right? I see that and that churns me up and catalyzes me to want to live in ways that honor and obey him. When you're having a hard time walking in faith, it's easy. I've been there multiple times. It's easy when your faith is being attacked. It's easy when you're struggling to go, I'm just going to kind of round off the edges on my faithfulness in this area of life. I'm going to be let it be okay if I'm not completely ardent in my faith in this way because right now I'm having a hard time. And in reality, what we need to do most is dig down into the fact that Jesus is righteous for us and let that continue to carry us to faithful obedience. He says, you got a belt of truth, you got a breastplate of righteousness, and then he says, you need shoes. You ever thought about trying to go out and fight a war with no shoes on? <laughs> he says, you need something to carry. You're not going to be very successful if you're not able to run well, if you're not able to put down your feet with pressure and apply that as you're going to fight. You need some, some shoes for your feet. What are those shoes made out of? The gospel of peace. What will protect you as you seek to willfully make one decision of faithfulness after another forward walking with Jesus? It will be the fact that you, because of who Jesus is, you are at peace with God. We've said biblically peace or shalom just means lacking nothing that you ultimately need. Relationally, Jesus has done everything it takes for you to be accepted and loved by God. In the moment when your spiritual life is falling apart, Satan would love to go, hey, He loves you, but he doesn't really love you like he loves them. Your enemy would love to go, hey, God thinks you're awesome, but not not that awesome because I saw what you just did a minute ago. And somewhere that starts to erode our trust in how he feels about us. And Paul would say, inspired by the Spirit, I believe he would shout it with great enthusiasm and joy. Trust in Jesus that you're at peace with God. You just failed in a way that's horrendous and embarrassing, guess what? Your peace relationship with God was never founded on your faithfulness to begin with. It was founded on the faithfulness of Jesus. Did you mess up? Yes. Is it regrettable? Yes. Should it be changed? Should it be repented of? Yes and absolutely. But don't let your confidence of who you are in Christ be diminished because it was never founded on you to begin with. You are at peace with God. Let that carry you forward. Some of us get locked in place we get paralyzed by the analysis of our own faith and we're not even sure if we really know him Jesus has done everything that it takes for you to have peace with God let that move your feet forward in the hard moments he said have a shield of faith right this is describing a big person sized shield that you could stand behind 
If you've seen any of the old war movies from ancient times, that line of people who go out in the front and they stand behind these shields and the arrows are all sticking into the shield as the other ones are shooting from behind. That's that big shield that he's talking about. And he says, listen, there are these fiery arrows that will come your way. Have you ever seen some of the great movies, man, about old-timey war where they dip some of the arrows in tar and set it on fire and they fire that thing and there's flames flying through the sky? Woo! That gets me fired up, right? But look, when it's spiritually and it's an enemy and he's shooting that kind of stuff in my direction, without Jesus, that's some pretty scary stuff. Without Jesus, that's some intimidating stuff. But he says, here's what you hunker down behind. Not what you can see, but what you can't see. You hunker down behind what you know is true, even though you can't put your hands on it right now. Faith will be your shield. Listen, I just feel inclined to say this. Your religious effort is not your shield. Your faith is your shield. Sometimes when things get hard, we want to work harder and harder and harder until we've overcome it. Listen, faithfulness is beautiful, and I want you to be as faithful to God as you can possibly be. I'm not trying to minimize that in any way. I'm simply saying to you that the best acts of faith we will do will be acts that flow from girding ourselves up in faith in Jesus, not in us trying to work really hard so we can feel better about how we are with him. Right? We're rejecting the gospel and what he's done when we try to work our way. He says, get in faith, sit down behind your faith and go, I don't understand this stuff that's coming at me. I don't know what to do with it, but I put my faith in you and I stay there and trust you. He says, the helmet of salvation, ultimate truth, the fact that no matter how things go in this moment, if I win, lose, or, or whatever else, I know that at the end, I win. I don't know if you've ever second time watched a ball game. Second time watched a play. I rewound a play last night to show it to my son who had gone out of the room for a minute. And he's like, oh! And then our guy caught the ball. And he's like, ah! I did that the first time, but when I was watching it the second time, I was just like, okay. Because I already know that the guy catches the ball. Can I just say to you that no matter what's going on in your world today, you are safe in Jesus and you are going to always be safe in Jesus if you're safe in him now. That you win in the end because he has won you. That's how it ends. And let that hang over your mind and your thoughts and your processes as a helmet of salvation. Lastly, he says, take up the sword of the spirit. A reference to God's word. Listen, you don't just need more gusto and willpower. You don't just need even good ideas as great as they may be. You need solid, specific truths from the word of God. As we're reading as a church through 1 Thessalonians this past week, I was reading in chapter 1, I believe it's around verse 6, and, and Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica, he's saying, you received the word of God in a rich way, even in much affliction, comma, with much joy in the spirit. And it was just clear as day to me as a reminder. Guess what? Joy is not only present where there's no affliction. Joy can be present in the middle of much affliction because joy is about Jesus. But guess what? If I don't have the word of God to say that specifically to me, then I'm walking through life going, it's going to be okay because God's good and God loves me. And all that stuff is true. But guess what? It's not really specific to point its way right into my problems. Let's pull out the word of God. Know the word of God. You're never going to find yourself protected by You're never going to have the power of using this weapon if the weapon is the truth and you don't know it. 
That's not a shaming. Don't walk out those back doors with your head hung low because you haven't engaged with scriptures enough. Walk out that door with your head up high knowing that there is an opportunity for you to engage with God-breathed out words that are written on a page for you. And it will speak into and impact and interact with your everyday life if you will seek it to. Let's use the word of God. Now, how is it that we go about putting on all this armor? Did you notice any of that? That he told you to put all this stuff on, but he didn't tell you how? <laughs> That'd be fine if he was saying, hey, put on that, that outfit that I left on the end of the couch for you before you leave, right? It's right over there. You could go get it, physical clothes, put them on. But spiritually, how are you going to put something on? I believe he helps us out with that. Verse 18, he says, be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I love this, verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, pray, pray as you are led in the spirit to pray. That means don't just open your mouth and start saying stuff all the time. There's times where you just open, you just talk a lot, but there's also times where you sit in prayer and you let God prompt the direction of your prayer and what you pray about and what specifically you pray for in the things that you're praying about. He says, pray as you are led by the spirit. Realize that prayer is not just a, a, a transaction, it's a relational interaction. It's not you giving something, it's you interacting with God. It says, pray in the Spirit. Listen, the way that I believe that, that we learn to put on this armor, we learn to live with the protection of these specific truths in these different areas of our life is that we become people who will not live life without talking to God. Because as much as we can read it and understand it and whatever else apart from talking to him, it can still just be truths. It can still just be principles. It can still just be facts. But at the moment that instead of me just reading, right, that I can have joy in my affliction, but I can say to God, God, teach me how to remember joy in my moments of affliction. God, show me how to live even now in my light and momentary afflictions with joy. Then all of a sudden I'm seeking out his strength in my life, right? I'm not just taking his principles and trying to use them. I'm seeking him to live them out through me. It's not one of the pieces of armor that he mentions, but I believe that it is the way that we apply them all. It's the way that we appropriate them. The way we interact with them is that we become a people doggedly committed to talking to God and listening to God. Be that on our knees in moments committed just to that. Be that as we drive down the road. Be that as we have a moment with our kids and we're wanting to get in our flesh and we need to go, hey, help me be like you. Just in our heads. Just help. Maybe, kids, you have a moment with your parents and you need, and I'm being serious, by the way. Especially if you're my kid, right? You need to go, hey, God, help me love them like you love me. We've got to be a people who are praying, seeking out his strength in all times. This is how we can live with a strength that we wouldn't otherwise have. This is how we can face affliction and hardship, yes, but we can also still flourish in our following of Jesus. Paul's made his big last argument, and he wraps down the letter in this way. We'll read his conclusion. It says, So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Verse 22. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Now listen 
in these last two verses to the things that Paul points them to. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's interesting where Paul ends. You see this relational dynamic that you living a remade life in Jesus, you living out your new identity in Jesus, it's not a solo project. It never was meant to be and it never will be successfully done. You need other people. He says, I want you to know what's going on with us. I'm sending tickets to you and here's what I want you to focus on more than anything else. And what does he say? I want you to know that you have peace. That you have everything you ultimately need from God to follow him. I want you to know that there is love, there is radical commitment to your advancement and well-being from me, but more importantly from God. Right? I want you to have faith. I want you to be certain of the things that you can't see just because God has promised them. And lastly, he says, grace to you. It's really interesting to me that he winds up. In the very last verse, 24, he says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the very last statement we get from Paul. But remember back in Ephesians 1, in his intro, This is what he said. This is where we started weeks ago. So he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. He said, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For Paul, living life with Jesus, living as God has now rewired us to live, it's all grace. It's all ill-deserved favor. It's all the recognition that I have proven how I don't deserve this kindness and, and, and these blessings and this strength from God. I've proven how I don't deserve it, and yet he continues to faithfully dole it out in my direction. It's grace from the beginning all the way to the end. This is our God. Don't walk out of here today and, and at some point this week go, well, I'm trying to live in the armor of God, but I don't feel like I'm doing too good at it, and drop your head again. It's grace. God's favor is yours if you trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you're not sure you have a relationship with God, don't leave here doing nothing about that. Come find me when we're done. I'd love to talk with you, not push you into anything. If you're not sure that you really know God by faith, not know about him, but know him personally, don't leave here and do nothing. Find a friend, whatever it is. Check on that card close to you. You'd like to talk with a pastor. Lord willing, we'll get with you this week. If you don't know that you know, do something. I say that to you because I love you. That's what I want us to do. I want us to just, and if you would, you would help me be honest and keep my integrity just by closing your eyes and bowing your head in an attitude of prayer. The band's going to come. We're going to sing in just a moment. But I want to ask you this. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. There's not a second step. There's nothing else. I'm just asking you for a moment of honesty between you and God. And all I want to do is pray for you and pray with you. If you're sitting in this room today and if you could be honest, if you could be transparent, if it would be your story to say, hey, if I'm being honest, I feel like I'm losing like I'm losing in the journey of faith. I feel like I'm beat down. I feel like I don't have any breath left to breathe. If you would say, hey, I'm not doing good at living in the armor. 
I'm hurting spiritually. I'm, I'm dry. If that's you today, with nobody looking around, all I'm going to do is pray with you and for you. But this is about you acknowledging where you're at before God. If that's you today, would you just look up at me? I look around. Yeah. That's you. Okay. Gotcha. More than a few. Anybody else? Man, why don't we seek the strength of God today? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the honesty of people to say that we are holding on by a thin strand at the end of the rope. We want to love you joyfully. We want to love you with gladness bubbling over and out of our lives. And yet, God, so many of us feel so defeated. Would you do something about that, God, please? And I know that you have in Jesus. I know that you have in your word and telling us how to walk with you and how to have strength. And yet and still, just because you're such a good father who loves to give good gifts, I'm asking maybe even today, would you lift up our hearts for each of those who would look up? For each of those who would lock eyes with me and say, I'm struggling. God, would you just breathe just a breath of encouragement into our souls? Would you lift us up this week? Would you give us encouragement we haven't had? Would you let a specific word, truth, scripture sink its way into our minds? God, do real things in our real lives full of real struggle. God, I pray that you would give us courage to seek out a friend who can help. If nothing else, to stand beside us and pray. Pray that you would lead us in how we journey forward even though we feel like we can't lift another foot to walk. Lead us in this moment as we seek to worship you, respond to you, and express your value. Help us. Start with me. Ask it for your name. We're going to have a moment to sing. But the most important thing to us is not that you sing loud. The most important thing and what I would hope for for your heart pastorally, somebody who cares about you, is just that you would respond to God. If your response to God today is to go find a friend and go, hey, I need to pray with you and, and go find a corner or come down and pray in the front or whatever it is, then do that. Is to go sit next to somebody and say, I need to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Go do that. If it's to write down a thought that you need to take with you or make a commitment to God in writing so that you know you said it. Whatever it is, man, respond to God authentically today. I'll be down here close to the front. If I can pray with anybody, I'd be glad to respond to who God is. I invite you, if you're up for it, to stand and sing.